Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron's Sportsbook Yes. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022. This is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. Tonight, we've got a lot of great stuff to get to. I certainly want to start off by thanking our excellent sponsor, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, so delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. Uh, tonight, we've got a lot to get to here um, with uh, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals going on. It's uh, game uh, five here this evening. We have live updates here tonight. Uh, presently, it is tied at one apiece in the second period. So we'll discuss how this series has gone, uh, among several other topics here tonight. And, of course, uh, we can't have the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast without Allen being a part of it as well. So Allen joins us here tonight. Allen, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Really glad to be here on another great show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. And we're going to have a great show, a great time tonight. Yeah, definitely going to have a great time uh, keeping a close eye on the uh, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. Uh, Live update real quickly for everyone who may be listening and doesn't have the game on. It is currently tied at 1 with 13 minutes left in the second period. Uh, There's currently a 4-on-4 going on as uh, two penalties on each side have led to that here tonight. It's been a good game, but a a solid game. Both teams playing uh, pretty, uh, pretty solid hockey here through the first uh, roughly period and a half of hockey here tonight. Uh, before we go any further, though, um, and of course, we'll talk a lot, a lot more here tonight about um, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. I wanted to start our show here tonight with uh, obviously some somber news that came uh, about this week um, yeah, from the NFL. Um, those who uh, maybe are about as old as Alan and I are, maybe a little bit older, even younger for, uh, for some of you, uh, may remember a uh, longtime NFL lineman, Tony Saragusa. Uh, he spent the first part of his career, of course, with the uh, Indianapolis Colts and then finished his career up winning a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens in 2000. Uh, that actually took place right in our backyard in Tampa. Um, and then he spent uh, several years as a, a rather entertaining uh, kind of sideline commentator for Fox Sports. Um, Fortunately, earlier this week, uh, he uh, suddenly passed away at age 55. So we want to send our condolences to uh, Tony's friends, family, his former teammates. And the Ravens, unfortunately, this week was a rough week for them as Jalen Ferguson, a young player, I believe he was 26, uh, unfortunately uh, passed away suddenly as well. So we do want to start our show here tonight with a moment of silence as uh, we reflect on the lives of both of those individuals. Uh, they both... Um, you know, gone way too soon. So we certainly want to send our prayers and condolences to their families here tonight. All right, a moment of silence there again for Tony Siragusa and uh, Jalen Ferguson. And, of course, uh, we always, uh, you know, take that time out to honor and respect those who, uh, are in the world of sports, the things that we discuss and talk about on our program. Alan, I, I know um, I didn't really know a whole lot about Jalen Ferguson. Unfortunately, he was a much younger player. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Tony Saragusa. This is a guy that 
had a huge personality. I mean, he was a big guy in general, just having been a, a lineman in the NFL, but he was a, a larger-than-life personality. I was uh, really taken back and shocked by the news of him uh, earlier this week. Yeah, he's one of those guys who is just such a, a great personality, fun, always looking to enjoy life, and you know, such a such a young age, and it's just uh, really sad, you know, for him to be passing at such a young age. He does have a, a Super Bowl ring, but you know what I love about athletes is that the ones that transition from the field and they do something that they enjoy and have life with, because unfortunately with athletics it has a it has a shelf life. You know, fortunately there is a time that you can play and be great, but once that eludes you your second life kind of starts in and he enjoyed life. He really did. I love him being an analysis. It seemed to come natural to him to have fun and enjoy, enjoy himself on the field. Yeah. What I liked about him too, you see a lot of these guys that get into the uh, broadcast side of it. And obviously that was what he was doing in a slightly different capacity. He wasn't in the broadcast booth. He was on the sidelines and every time they would cut to him on Fox sports, this was, well, it was probably been 10, 12, 15 years ago. Um, I'm not sure when it was that he no longer was doing games for Fox, but he always – it almost seemed like there was a party atmosphere around him. I think they, they may have kind of built that into his personality. That's kind of who he was. So um, he was a little bit different in the way that he uh, went about things than, uh, you know, opposed to, say, um, uh, who is the guy now who's one of the main play-by-play guys with uh, – with uh, Fox, I believe it's is it Greg Olson. Is that who I'm thinking of the former tight end. Yeah, yeah. So a little Olson. bit different. Greg, Greg Olson's more at, at this point in his career. Uh, obviously, newer into the into the broadcast world of things. He's a little more clean cut um, as opposed to Siragusa, who was you know it's kind of like there's a party going on. It's almost like there was a, a, a fiesta going on, <laughs> you know, down on the sidelines somewhere wherever he happened to be at, and he was oftentimes surrounded by fans and. Um, different people on the sidelines and kind of getting into stuff. So um, certainly he was always entertained by that. I thought that was kind of the fun thing uh, about him, but uh, definitely sad to hear, you know, gone way too soon, 55. I mean, you know, that, that certainly is uh, a young, young age. And then for Jalen Ferguson, uh, I believe he was 26 or 27. Um, you know, Baltimore Ravens family has been hit pretty hard this past week. So we certainly uh, keep, uh, all their friends and family and teammates and those uh, who knew them, uh, keep them in our prayers, uh, certainly as this uh, rough week has uh, has come and gone now. So, um, And I just want to give everyone real quickly an update on the hockey game uh, as well. Uh, Tampa just scored a goal here, uh, so it's 2-1 to one with uh, the Lightning leading right now with about uh, a little under 10 minutes left in the second period. We'll keep an update on that as events occur so uh we also have tonight uh alan our good buddy lou on the line let me go ahead and bring him on here lou good hey, evening how are you <laughs> all right i can in there i can the game myself you know i mean this is put up a shot time for tampa bay and they're giving all they've got right now well they definitely are and i, yeah. I made a comment to yeah. alan uh, a couple of days ago when we were talking about this series and if you, if uh if i'm keeping the correct score if Colorado ends up winning this series. It'd be the first time on this show that you've made a, a prediction, at least in the hockey world, and, and had it come uh, come through. So, so you may uh, you may have well. Hey, I was one for the, the ages bas- here tonight. I was about the basketball, didn't I? Well, I, I, I meant specifically in the hockey world. So, okay. 
In the years I've in the years I've been doing this, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a show if we're keeping score correctly. So. Right. Okay. Okay. Because I mean, because uh, I've I've been doing this now for quite a while. <laughs> I, I had to pigeonhole. I had to pigeonhole the way we were scoring it. So. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, we um. Well, I was going to say it for the uh, end of my segment, but uh, this year is another anniversary for me. Oh, what's that? Nine. Nine. Nice. Oh. Nine years. Very good. Congratulations. So, I'm now starting my tenth season. Yeah, the, the Lightning are really yeah. doing their very best. Uh, and, you know, that, that's are. the thing about them is that I, I feel as if when they put in the energy and effort, they play really well. But they it, it seemed like that we talked about this, Aaron, that it seems as if the, the times the Lightning seem like they're just tired. And when they get to that point. Okay, now here, here's what I want to think about from uh, Wednesday night. Uh, they're saying that, oh, that how the Lightning got screwed because uh, Colorado had uh, six men on the ice. I did not see a six man on the ice when that goal was scored. I don't know, I don't know what Cooper was thinking, but I didn't see a six person on the ice. I, re- I, re- yeah. I didn't see it. When they replayed it, there was six men on the ice, and, and the Lightning, in my opinion, do have a valid a criticism in this pace. But I felt as if the Lightning were going to lose that game anyway. And let me explain to you why. In okay. the overtime period, the Avs were in the kitchen of the Lightning the entire overtime. They got like 10 shots, and I think maybe Tampa Bay had one, maybe two max. It was so one-sided. So even if – Yes, that, that score was a bit unfair, but I felt like Tampa Bay was going to lose that overtime period anyway. Mm. You were not doing well in that overtime. And particularly the reason why I felt they were doing so poorly, because they were just gassed. They were just so tired that they were not yes. – they had no energy. And I felt as if, yes, it sucks that they scored on that goal, but I felt as if they could have scored three or four goals prior to that, and they probably were going to score three or four goals after that anyway. You were not going to win that overtime period them in your kitchen the entire overtime. What are your thoughts on that, Lou? Hmm. Well, like I said, I still don't think that I saw, you know, a six uh, six person on the ice, you know, and, and the refs didn't see it either. So, you know, and uh, it wasn't, they didn't feel like any conclusive evidence. And that's what you had to see. You had to find uh, conclusive evidence uh, to, make, to make it count. So obviously, one side saw some something and the other side saw something different. So there's a giveaway. There's a you know a giveaway right there. What are your thoughts on it, Aaron? Um, I mean, there's been some missed calls in this series. There's no question about it. But it's also been missed calls on yeah. both sides. Um, there's been a few situations where there was tripping that wasn't called. There was a couple of high stickings that were missed. Right. Um, so it's basically evened out. That, that one I feel is a little bit more important because it's a game-deciding decision. Um, none of those other ones, well, I, I don't think none of them had any impact. Um, but, you know, you go back to, I think it was game one. Yeah, it was game one where it, there was a couple of situations where the uh, Avalanche had a 5-3 advantage and, and scored a goal. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a situation like that where one of those calls is made and you either even up or at least make it a four, three situation, as far as um, the advantage, there may not be a goal scored on Colorado's side. And honestly, in that game, going all the way to game one, 
had Colorado not scored in that 5-3 situation, Tampa wins that game by a goal. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, in, in game four, Tampa probably should have won that game in regulation, and they didn't. So, yeah. um, you know, you can you can blame the refs all you want. And I, I agree, it was a bad call. It, 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 from our perspective, Tampa's perspective, right. um, they got the call wrong. But at the end of the day, you can't wait till the end of the game well, to say, you know, that's the reason why you lost. You, you lost because you didn't well, play well enough the rest of the game. You made the right call, and when they don't, you know, I kind of be like, leaves a mark on them. They have to learn how to make the right calls. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things that they didn't do that I felt they should have done, they had Charles Barkley in the booth to start game three for just the intro. I thought that was really cool. And then game four, they asked, where's Charles? And I seen one of my good friends took a picture with Charles Barkley. So he was in the building, but he didn't start in the booth and give like the intro for like the first five minutes. And that was bad deja vu for the Lightning. They should have repeated success. You had Sir Charles. You should have had him in the booth to start game four. Even the guys in the booth said, and lo and behold, he was in the building, but you didn't have him in the booth, and you lost game four. Hmm. (laughs) But, you know, I agree with what the guy said, that the longer the period went, the overtime period, that it was going to favor the abs. And I definitely believe that especially because they were so tired, the Lightning. Right. But if you want my opinion, if you want my opinion, Barkley doesn't know anything about hockey anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, if if the Lightning can win this game, I believe they can win this series. I really do believe that. If they win this game, uh-huh. I believe that this is the toughest game right here to win. You win this game – you come back to Lightning, I feel as if they win game six, and then at that point, there's more pressure on the abs, and I believe they win game seven. I think they have to win tonight's game, obviously, for obvious reasons, but I think tonight is the most challenging game, is to win tonight's game. Oh, yeah, no question I, about it. I agree. I think the momentum shifts drastically, um, you know, in that situation. If, if Tampa holds on and wins here tonight, in my opinion here with uh, six minutes and 40 seconds, left in the second period in a two-to-one lead, you got to get four or five goals in this game just to put it out of reach. You don't want this to go down to the last five minutes and suddenly Colorado ties it. If this goes to overtime, Tampa's done. Uh, just the way they've played in this series in overtime, I just uh, don't see them having a, a good um, a good chance of, of being able to to win at that point. So, Lou, I've got a couple questions for you, not, re- uh, not related to hockey and actually not related to anything that we – you uh, even had on our discussion board here tonight. Uh, Alan and I typically day of show or day before will throw a couple topics out there. One that I was just scrolling yeah. through and saw a few moments ago. This is big news from the college football world uh, from yesterday. Um, there's another Manning who may be a star at some point in the NFL. Yeah. Got to play college football first. Arch Manning committed to Texas yesterday. I wanted to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on that. Another huh. Manning joins Joins the racket. Okay. Well, if he's anything like, you know, his grandfather or Uncle Peyton or or Uncle Eli, you know, I think he's got some there. But, you know, he's got to prove himself first. You know, he's only still in high school. You know, I think, you know, it's just a little bit too hyped up. Let's see what it does, you know, after his college days before anything else. You know, it's a lot of pressure on the kid. And you got to put up, a, you know, 
with the legacy of how your grandfather and your uncles and your dad uh, who, who played in uh, college ball. So, uh, you know, it's, that's a lot to live up to. Yeah, I it agree. It definitely I, is. Yeah. I almost forgot about Cooper. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I was surprised that he went to the same school as his brother, and you have to kind of compete with I'm his record. I'm not surprised with that. You know, you're following your, family, your, your family's footsteps, so that's not surprising at all. I don't think so. It's like this, but you have to kind of constantly hear it all the time. Oh, your brother did this, and he got these records. He got this. That's the price you, you got to pay. I know, but I figured he was going to just go to another school and not have to deal with that. It might be easier on well, him. It might forget, be easier. Don't forget, that might have been, you know, I think maybe there was some strings pulled with that as well with his family. So, Yeah, it's yeah, very I mean, possible. That's very possible. That's a great point. I wouldn't doubt it. I think the interesting thing is, and as we approach, you know, college football starting here in about, uh, I think we're about 10 weeks out right now. We're about two, let's see, usually it starts right at the end of August, beginning of September. So we're about two, a little over two months away, nine, ten yeah. weeks out. I think it'll be interesting to see because the biggest things that have changed college football um, in the last several years, we, we have the transfer portal, which I think is so crazy to think about because for the longest time you transferred to another school, you take a year off your eligibility, you got to wait a year before you can play. Now you can have a guy literally going from one team to another, you know, from almost one game to another. And then you add in the name, image, and likeness where you're getting these payor, uh, players paid. Um, a big school like Texas, I mean, they're not, they're not poor there in Texas by any stretch. They got a lot of money there and you got Texas A&M, you know, who had the yeah. number one recruiting class this past season. So you have the number one player in the country going to Texas, and then you had the number one recruiting class and all that money that probably went into it in the background. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, over the next several years, how this changes. We, we, we've seen it on paper how it changes the landscape of college football. How is it not going to change the landscape of the actual game and the outcomes itself? Um, you know, does it make well, well, the, well. the rich richer and the poor poorer, or is or is there going to be some kind of balance in there somewhere? No, I think there's going to be a balance somewhere. I think there would have to be. I think it'll be kind of, uh, I don't want to say made up as it goes, but I think you're going to see some restrictions and some, you know, caps and things yeah, like that yeah. that are going to be put in place as it goes on. You know, you can't have three or four uh, programs that are spending the most money always getting into, um, you know, always getting into – the college football playoff, I think something's going to give at some point, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Oh, I'm sure it will. No question. What do you got cooking on your show this weekend? Well, let's see. We're still in championship mode, of course. You know we're going to discuss the uh, the finals. Uh, The NHL awards were passed out this week. Though I don't see why you would do it before the second finals, and I think that's a stupid move. I get the reason why, because uh, the the uh, cup finals were delayed uh, this year, but still, I think you should wait until that's over. Uh, the NBA draft, uh, which happened, which I'm not happy about. Thank you very much. Um, I got the uh, start of the uh, playoffs for that other football league. I'm not going to mention the name. You get the point. Uh, One that nobody's watching yet. <laughs> right. That's right, of course. Um NBA, um, yeah. So we have more, uh, more NBA. Uh, we'll wrap up the um, U- the uh, U.S. Open 
Uh, I may do a little ranting on the uh, rival golf league that's happening now because I think this is going to be a big competitor for um, the PGA uh, Tour. Oh, boy. Oh, also, uh, the start of NBA Summer School. You call it the Summer League, so we'll have a little bit on that as well. Yeah, I call it NBA Summer School. Oh, awesome. uh, the number to call is 512-543-4662 from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. And like I said, this week is a milestone because it was nine years ago this week I first dove in the world of podcasting. And now I start year 10. And they say I never last. Ah! There you go. 512-543-4662 and... Five one two five four three four six six two and now keep in mind I've only been doing national for five because you know I started locally. Which is the That's proper awesome. way to do it? Start small, work your way big, right? <laughs> you got it. Here you go. <laughs> All right. So I uh, hope to hear from you guys tomorrow or somewhere in the near future. And yes, there will be a show on Fourth of July weekend. I know everybody says, "Oh, come on, really?" Yes. Plus, I got to make it for the New Year's show I didn't do on January first anyway. There you go. Yeah. So make sure you guys support Lou. Five to seven Eastern yeah. Standard Time Zone tomorrow, Saturday. Right. And we we really appreciate you, Lou. Thank you. All callers are welcome. Awesome. Awesome. Thank Perfect. you so much. Definitely Lou. support Lou's uh, Lou's yeah. program. There, it's definitely a great one. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Lou, definitely. thank you for uh, thank you for taking time out of your night to join us here this evening. All right, that was our good buddy, Lou. So, um, obviously, uh, he has a great program, too. He's been a big contributor to ours for, what, about the last year and a half or so. I think it was, uh, I want to say, October 2020 when he first uh, first came on scene here. So, he, he's definitely been a, yeah. a huge uh, huge part of our program for the last uh, year and a legend. half. It's a legend right there. That's right. He has been a, <laughs> a big support of our show. We really appreciate Lou. Make sure you guys support Lou as well. And, the time flies. You know, we've been doing the show about, what, two years now? It's been? Um, let's see. We did our first uh, – well, i tell you what time does fly. Um, I, it's hard to believe we're almost right at the halfway point of 2021 uh, – 2021, 2022. <laughs> um, yeah, our first show – and, you know, we come from humble beginnings, folks. Uh, we started off recording our podcasts. Um, I know we did one in Winghouse. South Lakeland, Florida, um, where we uh, gained some uh, some early on fans in in person. Uh, we did uh, one show, I believe, from the dining room of my home uh, one time. I think that was one of our early ones as well. And what we used to do is we would record our program and then upload it, and then you know I believe we were posting it to uh, iHeartRadio. Uh, yep. Remember correctly, we had some help from our good buddy, Matt Brower, who kind of helped get us uh, kicked off on this too, by the way, Matt was a huge, huge help uh, in um, getting us started. I had spent some time on his program, I believe it was back in 2019. So I had a little bit of a feel for how this, how this worked, what the setting was, how to run things. And of course, how to make mistakes. I tell you what, we still do that today. So we're pretty good at that part of it. Um, But uh, we, we enjoy it. This is a lot of fun. You know, this is, I, I, I would say this to anybody out there, you and I, when we worked together several years ago, um, we enjoyed 
pretty much almost all of our conversations were sports related. And so but what you and I have basically done here is we've gone from just having a conversation about sports together in a private setting to now we're having it where we have listeners who listen in and we've had some great guests over the two years or so that we've been doing this, which has really become a lot of fun and, and you get access to things you didn't have before. And, you know, you're more than just a fan at this point. So it's definitely become um, a lot of fun. I wouldn't trade this uh, last couple of years for anything. It's been, been a, a very fun experience and we've gotten to know each other a lot better too. So um, I, I definitely uh, think this has been a lot of fun. And Lou mentioned uh, nine going on 10 years now going into his 10th season. We're, basically in our third. So we're still in our infancy in a sense, but we're getting there. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's been really a remarkable time. A lot of fun, a lot of excitement. We, like I said, we didn't know what to expect and it, it's been a real blessing. And, and just to let the list of the audience know, I watched two great documentaries just o- over the last couple of days. One was long gone summer. And it was talking about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and their run or the home run chase, and lo and behold, they had a, a what about guests on the show, Chip Carey. And I was like, you know what? Yep. It, 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 just, it was just a proud moment of me. Like, I was watching it. I wasn't thinking about Chip Carey at that moment watching the, the documentary. He comes on the show, and I'm like, hey, he was a guest on our show. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, this, it's a small world. It, it, it's just so enlightening little bit of background to that, too. Now, I remember the night, and we, I think we talked about this a week or two back, just a little bit of a uh, reference to the 98 home run chase. I know you were probably watching it, too. I remember watching that with, with wide eyes. I don't think anybody thought that Sammy Sosa was going to be in the position he was in because his best seasons had been you know, 35, 40 home run seasons in years previous to that. I really didn't know a whole heck of a lot about Sammy Sosa going into 1998. I, I'd heard the name a few times, um, but to, to, to Chip Carey, you know, he obviously is the son of the late Skip Carey, who was the son of the late Harry Carey. So in 1998, Chip had served for years as uh, a lead studio analyst for Fox, their Saturday baseball coverage, and also their postseason coverage, and he would call regional games. Um, the Saturday game of the week, he would call those occasionally here and there, um, depending on where the game was located. Well, in 1998, he got hired by WGN to broadcast Cubs games. It was supposed to be Harry Carey with Chip Carey. Well, unfortunately, Harry passed away in early February of that year. And so the Cubs, he brought in Chip, obviously, to be one of their main voices. It ended up being a magical year for the Cubs that year. I know you talked about it before, how – that year, the thing that was so special about Sammy was he was playing for a winning, contending team. The neat thing about the Cubs that year, and, you know, our listeners who don't know me, the ones who do know me know what I'm about to say, but the ones who don't know me, you know, I'm a, a Braves fan. But I used to come home from school when I was in high school back in those days. WGN covered all the Cubs games at that time, and all their games were obviously, you know, 90% of them were in the day uh, when they were playing at Wrigley Field. So I came home and would oftentimes turn on the TV and, and, you know, watch whatever Cubs game was on. So um, that was a magical year for the Cubs because they ended up going from being the worst team in baseball in 97 to a playoff contender. You had, uh, you know, the unfortunate passing of 
Harry Carey, but you had Chip Carey there now to be the lead voice. You had Carey Wood with a 20 strikeout at age 20 in May of that year. And then Sosa goes on the, the tear that he went on, uh, 66 home runs eventually, but he hit 20 of them in June. And then the Cubs end up making the postseason. So it was a really magical run for them. They got knocked out in the first round. But, um, yeah, that is very neat to, to, to see one of our former guests appear on a program and be like, hey, I know that guy. I talked to him before. I've met him before. I, I, you know, we've, we've interviewed yeah, him. Yeah, it was a, like, like such oh, a neat thing, yeah. That's what I wasn't thinking point. about yeah. it at all. <laughs> it was really cool watching Dr. Reddy. He said, it's Chip. You know, we had him on our show. And it was like. It was just like that. Like I'm watching this documentary. It was, it was an awesome documentary, Long Gone Summer. I recommend you guys go watch it. And lo and behold, somebody who's one of our guests was on that documentary. And the the interesting thing was, I watched another documentary with Doc and Daryl. Yep, Daryl. I was about to bring that one up. Yep. So just yep. the other day, so just these little reminders, and uh, you know, they just it just it's such a blessing that it's a small world. You, this show, I really am blessed by it. You had We had Daryl Strawberry come on the show, too. There's two documentaries I watched on ESPN that you would never think you would have access to them, and lo and behold, they were on the show. Daryl Strawberry and Chip Carey, and much more to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. We are definitely working on getting some more um, people from the world of sports to uh, to join our program, give us uh, you know a little bit of, of their time, and give us their perspective, too. I know that... Uh, you know, I remember when we talked to Chip last February, you know, he came from obviously a uh, family of broadcasters, his dad and his uh, grandfather both uh, before him. And uh, he mentioned there was a time where he didn't think he was going to get into the same industry. And, of course, eventually did. And I uh, just need to hear those background stories of how people got to where they are. Um, you know, and the same thing with Daryl. Um, obviously, he, he um you know, was a number one overall pick in, I believe it was 1980 uh, with the Mets and, you know, an organization that when he got there in the early eighties was not in real good shape. It took him a little while to, uh, to become a contender. And of course it culminated in 86 with um, their special run and, and, you know, eventually winning the world series. And then his career, of course, um, you know, took a little bit of a, a downfall once he got to LA and started playing, uh, his home games in Los Angeles. Great story, though. I definitely would recommend uh, people to um, to watch that. It's a great redemption story too for Daryl. Uh, he had a great career; could have been a lot better than it was. But he uh, he gives gives thanks to God for the things that he's able to do now outside of the game of baseball, which is a certainly a great thing to hear. So, yeah, big props to Daryl. And you know, as much as Daryl been through, you know, it's it's a blessing that he's he's still here. You know, he's he's had that type of life where it's been a lot of highs and lows and by the grace of God, he's still here and he has great purpose. And, you know, we need to, I need to catch up with Daryl some more. And, and that's, that's awesome that you watch two documentaries of people that like, Hey, I know that person, you know, it's all thanks to the Allen and Aaron sports Talk radio show. It just opened up so many different avenues. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have Chip Carey on our show again too. It's, he's a great guy. And it was, and it was it's great to hear these backstories, and it's it's really awesome. And you know, check out those documentaries I did watch, and Long Gone Summer, and also Doc and Daryl. You you definitely would be enlightened by both of them. They both both totally different stories, but man, great stories, great documentaries. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Now, both of those are baseball-related, so since we're on that topic here, um, obviously we're in full swing of, uh, of the baseball season. We're uh, about 72, 73 games in, so we're just a little shy of the halfway point. Um, a couple things in the baseball world that I wanted to bring up here. I posted this on our Facebook page here about, uh, I don't know, maybe two hours ago. Uh, Freddie Freeman is back in Atlanta tonight uh, with the Dodgers. I got his World Series ring. It was a very emotional um, setting, a very emotional setup. Um, he said he loved Atlanta. He, he thanks Atlanta for the years he was there. Um, you know, I got to be honest with you. As a lifelong Braves fan, it was a, a little emotional to watch. Uh, you know, watch that even after you know accepting here in the last uh, three four months, whatever it's been. You know that he's not going to be a Brave anymore. But it was neat to see him get his ring. And I also want to give props to our buddy uh, Tyler Redmond. He, um, I believe it was Monday of this week, was in Atlanta. And uh, Jock Peterson, who was also part of the Braves last year, uh, he got a little – I think he was trying to get an interview. I don't think he actually got it, but he got got a a picture taken with him. I posted that on our Facebook page as well. Tyler's doing great, guys. Uh, He's uh, he's definitely got got a lot of uh, great things going on and a great future ahead of him. So we're proud of him. And – Actually, would love to have him back on the program here at some point. I know coming up, and Alan, this is my favorite time of the year in the baseball season. We're almost at the All-Star break, which will be in L.A. Um, Major League Baseball last year uh, changed one major aspect of the summer schedule. used to be the uh, first-year player draft was always like the first Monday in June. Well, they decided a, a year or two ago, last year was the first year, of course, to hold the draft in the city that's hosting the All-Star Game and also to hold it on the Sunday before the All-Star Game is played. So this year it'll be in Los Angeles. Um, it's always a lot of fun. Next week, uh, which will be the last week that I'll be on the program until the end of July just due to uh, scheduling and vacation, uh, next week we're going to have an entire segment dedicated to uh, both the trade deadline, which will be right at the end of July, and, of course, the Midsummer uh, All-Star Game, the Cl- uh, Midsummer Classic, of course, the Futures Game, and, of course, um, previewing some of the big names in the draft. The guys that we're going to be uh, seeing as All-Stars in the future are just about three weeks or so away from being drafted. So it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about that. Um, and both our teams are doing pretty darn well right now both uh oh, yeah. with the Braves and the Yankees are both I mean this might be a World Series preview we're talking about here it's going to be um you know um you know if, if that happens it's going to be a very interesting show we do for for a week or so in uh in late October <laughs> yeah you're right about that I mean you can't you know, for both teams you really can't ask for much more I mean the Yankees give people fans out there an update they're 12 and a half games up on the Blue Jays and they're the closest team you have the Red Sox 13 games, the Rays 14 and a half games, 52 wins, 18 losses, and that's just that's just a torrid start. And the Braves have caught fire. They cut that lead that the Mets have had down to four games. So they're getting red hot. And, boy, it just goes to show you that, you know, if you go in a tier in baseball, you can really go in a tier in baseball. You know, it's just it's just amazing. But both our teams are doing fantastic. I heard that they had worked things out with Judge, so that's congratulations on that. So he, he's he's going to get paid, and 
man, can you ask for anything more than that? Yeah, no, he, he uh, they agreed to a deal, I guess, to avoid arbitration. He'll still be a free agent after yeah. the season unless they agree to a new deal before then, uh, which I don't expect that to happen. I think that, um, you know, the best year to have a career year is your walk year. So he's having uh, – part of it really is his health. He's been able to stay healthy. Um, and, you know, hopefully we don't jinx that for him by talking about it. Um, yeah, that's one of the biggest right. things with Aaron Judge over the last several years. He's a big guy. Um, he's a very physical uh, athlete. And, uh, you know, occasionally guys overplay or they overexert themselves and they end up, you know, having, you know, nagging injuries or whatever the case might be for him. Um, you know, he's managed to stay healthy this entire season, and I hope he can continue to do that because, in all honesty, and I think I made this comparison a week or so ago, you know, he's he's the Mark McGuire of today's today's sport. You know, I, I like to see home runs that don't just clear the fence by, you know, a couple of feet where the outfielder might be able to catch it. I, I want to see balls that are hit into the upper deck. You know, I want to see I want to see the ball that goes, you know, further than anybody's ever hit it kind of thing. And Aaron Judge is one of those kind of guys that is able to do that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see from a storyline perspective how his decision, whether it's to stay with the Yankees after this season and find a long-term deal, or whether it's to go to one of the many other places that can afford the kind of money he's looking for, it's going to be interesting to watch how that all goes down. It is. It's definitely going to be interesting to see that. And and you mentioned Mark McGuire. You know, that's a spoiler show, but one of the things that Mark McGuire said that is that the home run that he hit, the 60-second home run, he wished it went a little further for the, for it to be the record home run, but it did clear the fence. But, yeah, to your point, even the players like to see something that goes <laughs> 15, 20 yards in the upper deck. And he just, he just just He's just a strong guy. And if you throw the ball up on him and he gets his bat around, you can forget it. It's not – it's not going to just clear the fence. He just has that ability to hit long, deep fly balls. And not everybody has that. I mean, he hit one over the catwalk in Tampa. Here in Tampa Bay was just ridiculous. I mean, he just has amazing power. And the opposite field, too. It's just some guys are just big and strong and gifted like that. And he's one of them, that's for sure. Six foot seven, I believe he's about two fifty, two sixty, somewhere in there. Um, could have probably played basketball if he'd wanted to, but you know, nice to see a, a player of his size, you know, be able to to have the consistency in the major leagues because you don't see that very often. Now I got to ask you this: you talked about that sixty second home run, which uh, took place on September eighth, nineteen ninety eight. I remember right where I was at when that occurred. That was a record that had stood for. You know, 37 years, I believe, at the time. Where, where were you? Were you watching that live when it happened? I definitely was watching it live. I don't know anybody in the world that wasn't watching that. That was <laughs> really <laughs> – it was captivating, and it was just something that you just never saw before. And it was great that Mark McGuire had Sammy Sosa and that Sammy Sosa had Mark McGuire because they both pushed each other, and they both were very different personalities. I think it was good because – I think Mark McGuire by himself without Sammy Sosa would have gotten more testy with these press conferences and the pressure. Having Sammy Sosa, a guy with a lot of charisma, I think mellowed him out a bit. I think they both were great for each other, and it was a great moment. You know, Steve Traskell, he was the one who threw the ball, and he was for the Cubs, and he let off the home run. I got the sense he still was a little bitter 
that Sammy Sosa came over and congratulated Mark when he hit the 60-second home run, but I didn't have a problem with it. I thought Sammy did the right thing by coming over and congratulating him because what made that race so fun is that it wasn't a bitter competition. It was a fun competition. One of us is going to get it, whether you were a Mark McGuire fan or Sammy Sosa, but it was done very amicably. It wasn't done in a nasty, competitive way, which would not have been good for the sport, and it wouldn't have been good for either one of them either. So I, I thought – I thought Tresco was being a little, you know, he, he wasn't being he wasn't being understanding. I think he took it a little too personal that Sammy congratulated him. I thought Sammy did the right thing by coming over and congratulating him, and they just continued the game. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'd never heard the story of of Traxel, um being uh, disappointed or upset about that. That's obviously that was twenty four years ago now that that happened. So it's been. Yeah been a little bit of time has passed since then but um as far as you know and i remember like you said you know there's not many people in america that were around back then that understood what was going on that didn't understand or didn't don't remember where they were you know at and i can tell you this um i want to say it was probably about nine o'clock at night when he came up and hit the home run it was the second at bat and i remember because most people envisioned when he got that home run before it happened most people envision it's going to go into the second level of Bush Stadium. It's going to be, you know, a long home run. He's going to stand there and, you know, and, and admire it. The almost anticlimactic thing that happened in that situation was when he hit the ball, he didn't know it was going to go out. You knew it was going to at least hit the wall. It wasn't going to be caught. And it cleared the wall by – I mean, it's probably one of the shortest home runs he's ever hit, to be honest with you. Um, he just – he hit it on such a line. And I remember – it got out of the park in like three seconds. It was pretty much like, like a bullet out of a gun kind of a thing. And I remember jumping in my parents' uh, living room and my fist hit the ceiling. <laughs> it was, it was like, I, I lost control of, of, you know, my emotions. And I just, I, I wanted to see this happen for so long. And, and I remember, you know, that jump in my hand hitting the, the, the ceiling and, and, um, you know, kind of, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this just happened. You know, we were all celebrating and, and, um, you know, just a, a great moment. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, I, I do think that uh, Traxel in that moment, um, you know, I, I think his emotions get in the way. It's understandable to some degree because in September you're in a playoff race. And the Cubs ended up, of course, three weeks later clinching the wild card. Um, and they got to the postseason for the first time. And I think it was eight years at that point. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 1990. So I can sort of so- somewhat understand where he was coming from. Yeah. And, and you know, I think – I understand where he's come from. I just think he was just taking it a little too seriously. I don't think this was a unique situation. I know that Sammy wouldn't have done it for just anybody coming over there to congratulate him, but it was the record-breaking home run. Him and Mark McGuire had a friendship. And, you know, he he congratulated him. You know, he did the right thing. And I felt as if I probably would have done the same thing in that situation, just give him his props. You don't want to have negative, you know, tension between you and the guy you're competing against because it just doesn't make it fun anymore. I think that was cool that they had fun and it was a great documentary, Long Gone Summer. I really enjoyed it. I recommend you guys watch it. It it brought back a lot of memories of me watching that race and it was just so fun. You're right. The Cubs were in the middle of, you know, Mark's team was out of it, but the Cubs were very much in a playoff run 
And it, it made it so cool that Sabre Sosa got 66 home runs in the middle of a playoff run. You know, they were in the thick of things, and clubs were not known for that. So I, I just I just thought it was a really, really cool year for baseball. And, man, it, it was something special to see. Well, let's not forget, too, that that season, and even coming into that year, um, you know, most people thought it was going to be a battle between McGuire and Griffey which would have made sense because Griffey had put up such great numbers in past years. Um, that season, I believe Griffey hit 56, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm looking at those numbers up actually now as we, as we speak. Uh, let's see, 1998 for King Griffey Jr. He hit – see if this will tell me. Tells me his batting average, the number of games he played, doesn't tell anything about number of home runs he hit, but I believe he hit that year uh, 56 home runs. There were some players that year that had great seasons. Uh, Andres Colorado was, um, had been with Colorado uh, his entire career, or not his entire career, he had played there for four or five years prior, and most people thought he's leaving Colorado, he's going to Atlanta, he's 37, 38 years old, he's not going to do anything. He had 44 home runs that year. I mean, that's not 70 like McGuire hit or 66 like Sosa, but he still had a, a really big year. That was a, a great year for the home run ball, um, 1998. And then, you know, the, the interesting thing is the following year, they followed it up with a, an encore almost. I mean, McGuire hit 65 in uh, in uh, in 99, and I believe Sosa hit 61 or 62 that year. So, uh, you know, back-to-back seasons of just hitting a ton of home runs and – you know, nothing will compare to what 98 was because 98 was essentially what 61 was between Maris and Mantle, um, where I think Maris, uh, Maris hit 61, Mantle, I think hit 58, I want to say. So um, I don't know that we're ever going to see another back-and-forth battle like that again. I mean, it's possible that Aaron Judge could set a record this year if he can stay healthy and get enough, you know, good pitches to hit. But to have – two guys that are going after it neck and neck like we saw in 61 and like we saw in 98. I just don't know where we're ever going to see that again. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if we'll ever see it again, but man, that was exciting. And I really, really hope we do. Cause it was, it was fun. And you know, it, one of the things about getting all those home runs to get in the sixties and you got to stay injury free and you got to stay relatively hot. You can have a low, for a period of time, but you can't have a lull too long. And you got to stay ahead of pace is the key. Stay ahead of pace. And, man, and, you know, it's it's remarkable that they was able to go ahead and have that pressure and push themselves and and both end up the year with, with great numbers. I thought it was appropriate. I will say this, but I thought it was appropriate. I know Mark said, how does a guy get – he didn't say this in documentary, in this particular documentary. I've heard him say that before. How does a guy hit 70 home runs and don't get the MVP? Well, your team was out of the record race. Your team was out of it. Sammy's team was in it, and his team made it to the playoffs. That makes a big difference. To me, when it comes to MVP, if I'm voting for you, it's not just what your stats are. It's also what your stats are in conjunction of how you help the team win games. Sammy's team made it to the playoffs. He had 66 home runs. I thought it was appropriate that Sammy got the MVP that year. No, I, I absolutely agree. That was almost a, a, a no-brainer. 
at that point now. The Cardinals have been in the playoff race at that point, too, and maybe come up a little bit short, you know, a game or two short, possibly a different story. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously take Sosa away from that Cubs team. They don't make the postseason that year. There's no question about it. His offense was crucial and more valuable than what, you know, what we saw from uh, McGuire that year. Even though McGuire had a, a season that, you know, at that point nobody had ever had before, um, it was certainly bigger for Sosa to have done what he did with the Cubs. So, um, yeah, we got more baseball stuff we'll be talking about here. The next couple of weeks are going to be huge. Uh, the end of July, uh, I'll be back on the program uh, after vacation on, I believe it's July 29th, which is the final Friday prior to the 2022 Major League Baseball trade deadline. A lot of stuff will happen, I'm sure, between now and then. And, of course, uh, usually right within the uh, days leading up to that. So we're going to have a lot of stuff to post on our Facebook page. Moving on to football, and i got to tell you this, Alan, I know we're at the end of June almost here now. Uh, we're going into July. Obviously, football is right around the corner. I couldn't be happier, couldn't be more excited. Love the NFL, love the college game, love even the high school game. Um, a lot of fun to go see uh, a lot of the local uh, future stars of the college and NFL world. Um, big thing happened this week, though. We kind of weren't sure what was going to happen, but Rob Gronkowski – uh, 30, was he 32, 33, finally decided to hang it up. Um, great career. Next stop for him is Canton. No question about that. I want to get your thoughts on his decision to go ahead and hang it up. I was a bit surprised. I was a bit surprised. I thought he was going to give it one more year. He had his friend Tom Brady there to help him. I know that it's, it's definitely it's a physical grind, more so on Rob Gronkowski than it is on Tom. Because Rob is getting hit. He's a big target. I know that he has to put a lot of grind just to be on the field with his preparation. I thought he was going to give it another go. Because in a sense, he turned down a chance for the Bucks to get another ring. And he also turned down Tom Brady. You know, you can almost say that. Like, he knows the opportunity. So, I thought Rob was going to give it one more year. I, I really did. I thought he was going to sign maybe... You know, once OTAs went into effect a little bit, so he didn't have to do it. But I thought he was going to give it one more year around. I can't take anything from it. It's his decision, his body. He did play the one year. He got the extra ring from the Bucks. It sounded like he really enjoyed playing for the Bucks. He's going to, like, it's, to your point, he's going to make it to Canton, whether he played another year or not. If he had a, he played and he didn't have a great year or got injured, regardless, he was going to be Canton's first ballot Hall of Famer, and deservingly so. I, you know, I congratulate to Rob Gronkowski. I just a little personally, like, man, you wanted, you didn't want to give it more a year with Tom. You don't know, you know, with Tom playing, new coach, there's a good chance. So that was my thoughts. I was a little surprised. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I was surprised or not surprised on it. It was kind of one of those things where, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. I, I can see your point on, you know, one more. Like we know, we're going into our final year together. This is the, this is kind of the, you know, the the end of an era for for both players, and maybe for this run for the Bucks because once Tom Brady's gone, you know, you've got to turn it over to a new a new quarterback, a new system. You've already got a new coach in place, which I think is going to change things a little bit. It's a uh, a guy who is uh, a defensive coach versus being an offensive coach. Um, so there's a lot of those things to think about now from. 
Rob Gronkowski's side of things, and I think this is something that was even talked about several years ago when he was still with New England, he's got a career outside of the NFL once he's done. And a lot of us believe, um, unlike somebody like Tony Saragusa, where it was you know, uh, an analyst uh, on the sidelines, um, you know, it, it was going to be in the field of acting. And I think that Rob Gronkowski is going to uh, probably be a movie star at some point. Um, and I, I definitely see that in his future. And just wanted to interrupt here real quickly. It uh, looks like Colorado just tied the game 2-2 with uh, 17 minutes, 29 seconds left in the third period in game five from Colorado. So tie game in, uh, in what could be a decisive game in the NHL playoffs. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. The tie game. And, you know, this is this is what champions are made out of. You know, if I really do believe if the Lightning can win this game, pull this game out, they can win this series. I really do believe that. And but they got to win this game and it's not going to be easy because you like to your point, you want to win this game in the time of play, meaning you got 17 minutes, a little bit more than 17 minutes. You got to try to get more goals than they do in that 17 minutes. Don't try to go to overtime expecting you to win a game. You know, especially in Colorado, you have it. Things have not worked out well for the Lightning in overtime. I'm not saying it can't, but you want to win this game. It's tied up. This is you got to dig down deep and try to find a way to hold off the Colorado and bring it back, bring it back to Tampa Bay. Try to win this game. Yeah, the craziest thing is they just played a replay of that goal, and it looks like it was uh, Tampa who actually kicked it in with her skate right through Vasilevsky's uh, uh, shin guards. It went right through them and unfortunately uh, puts Colorado up – or ties the game, rather, here with Colorado being up three games to one in the series. We'll keep an eye on that as we forward here tonight. Um, want to get a little bit into the uh, PGA versus the uh, LIV golf. Um, the question that has been posed, is this good – for the game of golf, these two uh, tours, uh, one versus the other. I want to get your thoughts on that first, and then I'll uh, I'll um, provide my comments afterwards. I think it is good for the game of golf. It gives more players an opportunity to either play for the PGA Tour or live golf. You have more players that are going to be needed, and you have more options. I, I you know people can talk about the Saudis and all of that, but at the end of the day. I feel as if America is not perfect, and I feel as if Saudi Arabia is not perfect. You know, it is what it is. This is, I think people, I don't like how PGA, the PGA Tour has handled the situation. I think they've been very petty. Not only that, they went back on their words. They're going to now start paying people more money. Well, you weren't going to do that unless there was a competitor. So automatically, it's already made golf better in my view because Let's say you have no interest in going and playing for Live Golf. You have no interest at all. If you're on the PGA Tour, guess what? Your chance of winning is now greater because not only did the guys, some of the top players left, but also the purses are going to start getting bigger, bigger and bigger. So if you're on tour, your chances of are going to be better. I think, hey, at any time you have a monopoly and you have a competitor, competition makes people better. You saw what Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, they push each other. 
If they didn't have one another, who knows if Mark gets 70 home runs, and who knows if Sammy gets 66 home runs. Maybe they stop around 62, 63. You know, who knows? But I think this is a very good thing for golf. I kind of wish Rory McIlroy would stop taking shots at live golf every opportunity he gets. It is what it is. Guys made their decision. It's their decision to make. You know, they wanted to get the bag. You can't hate on it. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, leaving all the politics and, and that stuff out of it, obviously we could go into that, but that's not what our show is about. Uh, not the things we want to be bringing up and, and discussing on the program because, it, again, is different and it's not what our program is um, designed to do. Looking at it just from the pure golf perspective, the PGA Tour probably got wind of this uh, other uh, tour a long time ago. I mean, we're, we're probably talking at least a year's notice that this was coming in. This wasn't something that just popped up overnight or got cooked up overnight. So my thought is this. If you want to continue to have a superior product and have the big names in your tour, then you've got to do something from a marketing perspective, from a um, innovative perspective that proves and shows that your tour is the one that everybody's going to want to watch. And really what that does eventually is the other one will eventually fizzle out. That's why that, that is largely in part why um, XFL, um, USFL, haven't been successful because the NFL has had the monopoly on the fans. Well, now you have this separate golf tournament or separate golf tour rather that is coming in, trying to be innovative, trying to give a, a different uh, a different option for viewers and for for players alike to be able to be a part of. And what the PGA Tour is doing essentially, if I'm making a business comparison, is they're refusing essentially to move into the 21st century this is kind of like blockbuster video and there's probably a good portion of our listening audience out there that doesn't remember blockbuster video you know it was the cream of the crop back in the day and you know again making a business uh, analogy here um you go into the you know into the early 2000s mid 2000s and you have this new thing that comes about called netflix which I remember even back in the days where you actually were getting them in the mail and then popping them into the little prepaid uh, envelope and sending them back. It's the same thing, you know? So the PGA tour is reacting negatively and, and really kind of biting its own tongue, kind of eating itself at this point, in my opinion, I think they need to, to embrace the, the competition because it really, when you embrace the competition, kind of like Coke and Pepsi, they both do really well, but they need each other. And so I think this is kind of one of those things where if the PGA can say, well, it's good for these guys to be able to get over there because it opens up opportunities for other players to play on the PGA Tour. Let's just be honest here. When guys leave the PGA Tour, there's going to be new amateurs that are going to come out professionally and start playing. So, you know, I think from that perspective, it certainly is good. You know, we'll leave getting the political stuff out, but I think this helps out. And it also – you know, you look at some of these guys that are leaving that have been maybe mediocre the last several years. It kind of washes out some of the maybe mediocre play, and now you get to bring in these amateurs that maybe wouldn't have a chance otherwise. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I think, you know, you have more players that get opportunities. Whether you, you – if you want to go to live golf, it's an opportunity. If you want to play the PGA Tour, it's an opportunity. You, you have to make that decision. But I, I think it's a good thing, I think – the PGA Tour is trying to 
play damage control, and they should, like to your point, embrace the competition. You know, I, that was another great blockbuster documentary I saw was there was a in, in Oregon, there was the only blockbuster in the world. It's still open, and they did a documentary on it. I watched it, and it was awesome. It was an awesome documentary. But to your point, they didn't adapt. You know, sometimes when you see competitors, you check and see what they have and see how you could maybe redirect, do things a little better. This is this is a way to wake up call. You know, the PJ Tour has been very mundane in the same way for, for many, many years. Now you need to be innovative to your point and change things up. And maybe money is one thing, but maybe you need to have some other options for the players, you know? I, I just think yeah. the PGA has, has taken it the, the low road of just taking shots with the players who have joined, shots with the live tour, you know, and live golf, I'm sorry. And it, it kind of made it personal. And that's not what I think is a good thing to do. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct about that. And I think that um, from a public relations perspective too, they really have uh, shot themselves in the foot you go back about two weeks ago, and it was um, right before they decided to suspend 17 players. They told them it was okay to go ahead and play, and then they decided, you know, shortly after the fact, well, no, we're gonna actually need to go ahead and suspend them. Um, really sent uh, the wrong message, in my opinion. And I think that it's it's gonna be hard to do damage control at this point. You almost have to have a whole entire new leadership take over there, and you know push things in a different direction start over from scratch and now really the big thing is is you've given the upper hand to the other tour now the, the other tour has it, you know they don't have any negative publicity like this so i think you really have, have shot yourself in the foot multiple times here in this case that's really a bad thing for you know from the public relations perspective and from just the viewership on that particular side yeah, I agree. You know, less is more. They they really have shot themselves in the foot a lot of times. Or what they said, even to send players they, who who did the right thing and resigned. And, you know, they they felt that it was going to be a conflict of interest. They submitted their resignation letter, and you went ahead and suspended somebody who's no longer working for you anymore. I, I just that that's just utterly ridiculous in my opinion. And you know what? It's way many many years ago. I learned a lesson, and that lesson was. I was working at a retail store, and I thought it was the best thing since ice cream working there. Somebody made a decision that they were going to go in another direction. I was working there and work for someone else. And I was kind of like talking to them like they were making the biggest mistake in their life. And then somebody said to me, Alan, you just got to let people make their decision. It's his decision to make, and you got to just respect that decision. And I learned from that lesson that he was right. It was his decision to make. My point of view may have been different. I may not have done what he done. I may have thought it was the best thing since ice cream. He may not have shared that opinion. And maybe he did share that opinion, but he made a decision to do something else. And I learned that you got to let people, that lesson taught me, you got to let people make their decisions. And once they make the decision, you got to respect it. Whether you agree with it, whether you wouldn't have done it, it's, it's, it's their decision to make. Yeah, very, very good point there for sure. So, all right. Well, 
I know I mentioned before in uh, a week or so we're going to have, or actually next week, we're going to talk uh, a lot about the uh, Major League Baseball uh, draft and, of course, the Futures game, the All-Star game, that kind of stuff here. I know you wanted to bring up some uh, some news from the boxing world here this evening. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, it was a, it was a great fight between Joe Smith Jr., Benavidez. Joe Smith Jr. was actually somebody who I interviewed and I, I didn't do a one-on-one interview. It was during a press conference, and I got a chance to ask him a question. And, you know, I was kind of rooting for him because he was from New York. But I, I did feel as if there was a good chance that he was going to lose his fight because he was fighting somebody who had a lot of amateur experience, not so much for Joe Smith as far as his experience. He made short work of him, and he lost within two and a half rounds. I thought it was a good stoppage. So, you know, keep your head up, Joe Smith Jr., and, you know, he's a fellow New Yorker like myself. But I, I did agree with the stoppage. And, you know, sometimes when you're facing somebody in boxing, they, they have a lot of experience, amateur experience. Sometimes it does work to the advantage. It did work to the advantage. Another great thing that are happening in the boxing world is that uh, Mayweather is in talks, believe it or not, folks. I heard there are really strong talks of fighting Conor McGregor for a second time. My thoughts on this is this is obviously a cash grab, and I don't understand why somebody would want to go ahead and pay for this fight. You know what, how it's going to end out. I, I just don't get it, but Mayweather's got an act for marketing, and so does Connor. They're both going to make a lot of money, so I can't really hate on that, but I, I, it just it just amazes me how – People can find interest on something you already know the outcome. It's kind of like WrestleMania. You know what's going to happen in most cases, but yet people still go ahead and pay all their money. You know, not to get political, but, hey, don't complain about the gas price so high if you're wasting your money on stuff that you really shouldn't be. But that is something that's going to be in talks. It's uh, something that is probably going to come to fruition. I did watch the first time they fought. And that was good enough for me because I know how this fight's going to end already. So that's that's the big thing in boxing news. And I'm going to try to get Jake Paul to come on our show. He has a fight, a, a fight where he's fighting Tommy Fury, who's his first pro boxer. So I would like to get his input on on his upcoming fight. But outside of the McGregor fight and Mayweather fight, there's a lot of great potential fights that are coming up. In the boxing world, I'll keep you guys in tune with that. So good news for boxing is that now guys are starting to fight better competition, which is always exciting. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, of course, uh, it helps out with viewership, um, puts a lot of money out there, a lot of uh, opportunities, and, of course, a lot of fun, too. I mean, obviously, um, the more that those things go down, the the more likely it is we're going to see rematches of maybe some old fights, too. Uh, down the line. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. I know you're our expert in that area for sure. And so we'll see how that stuff plays out here over the next uh, several weeks, months, and uh, even into 2023. Yes, definitely. I'll definitely keep you guys up to date on that. I have had a lot of fans and people, you know, want my knowledge on the boxing and I love to give it to them. And because it's exciting for me, I get to keep up to date with it. And covering box is actually, you know, really cool in a way that, Guys are usually really cool about doing interviews in some sports. It's it's not as easy as it looks. So I'm I'm out there hustling for you guys to give you as much insight as I can. 
We thank you for doing that for sure. Again, you are our uh, insider when it comes to um, news from the world of boxing, of course, uh, analysts when it comes to uh, what you believe is going to happen between uh, opponent, uh, opponent one and opponent two. Uh, so we certainly appreciate that as well. And also wanted to go ahead and real quickly as we end our show tonight, uh, give a final update. Eight minutes, 40 sec- uh, eight minutes, 46 seconds left in regulation in the third period. Uh, 2-2 tie between uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and, of course, the Colorado Avalanche. They're in Colorado tonight. Uh, the Avalanche lead the series three games to one. There is currently a uh, face-off here on Tampa side, and looks like uh, we're seeing Colorado now skating back down towards their goal. Tampa got the puck back, uh, heading back towards Colorado side of the ice, and we'll see if anything happens here in the next couple seconds. One thing we know for sure is we'll be talking about however this series ended up next week, uh, whether it ends tonight or ends in either six or seven games. We'll have a final between now and next Friday night. So uh, I want to thank our good buddy Lou here this evening for coming on at the very beginning of the program, giving us his insight. Certainly want to uh, uh, encourage all of our listeners to um, support Lou's show. That is the Enhanced Sports Show. Eastern time is between 5 and 7 um, here for uh, for Lou. And I think you have their phone number again, Alan, if you want to read that off. Oh, sure. Yes, 512 543 Four six six two, and it's five one two five four three four six six two. The Enhanced Sports Show. Let me also share you our call-in number if you ever want to call in and be our guest for our show too. It's five one six four one eight five five seven two, and it's five one six four one eight five five seven two to join the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, we'll definitely get you on. We'll expedite you onto the show and. Um, you know, have a discussion with you in regards to either something we're talking about or if you have a uh, separate topic that you'd like to bring up, we would certainly love to throw our two cents worth in and, uh, you know, maybe have a a small debate. Uh, We're certainly not um, strangers to those types of things that occur. We try to keep it, uh, try to keep it appropriate though, as this is a family show. I also want to thank our great sponsor. Again, I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, we've had a great partnership over the last uh, three or four months or so with, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. Uh, I know we had a, um, a small ad on our Facebook page that we ran uh, earlier this week. And, uh, of course, uh, his barbecue sauce is terrific. And as they say, it's uh, so delicious and addicting that you may need a support group. So definitely um, get yourself some. It's great stuff. I, I did notice this week that they are, for the first time ever, uh, shipping to Alaska. So there's some people up in Alaska yeah. that are going to be enjoying uh, maybe, maybe it'll help fall out a little bit. The uh, the cool temperatures up there. The um, uh, the barbecue sauce. Get yourself a, a bottle. Get yourself all four. Uh, that way you can uh, you know experience the same things we have as far as the great taste. It's great to use, of course, with um, meats that you're cooking. Or if you're like me, I like to dip my French fries in it too. So <laughs> um, yeah. we definitely appreciate Chef G and what he's uh, done for our our program, and we're certainly uh, happy to continue to partner with him. Uh, in the future as well. So thank you to him. And uh, thank you for our listeners too. You guys, uh, you know, this isn't possible without um, without your support, without you listening. We're just here two guys talking to ourselves at that point if it's not for you guys. So we definitely thank you uh, and encourage you to, of course, not only call in, but if you want to post comments on stories that we've posted on our Facebook page or just say hello to us in general, uh, we're always going to welcome that here. So for Lou and for Alan, 
This is Aaron. We're signing off. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.